Well, good morning, Harvest. I'm Nate. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest. <laughs> and I am so glad to be with you this morning and be able to open up the word of God with you. When, uh, when Pastor Doug asked me to preach today, he said, hey, you can preach on anything you want to preach about as long as it's out of the word of God. And I was like, what? I mean, telling a young pastor that, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like taking your kids to a candy factory and you walk them around, you give them the whole tour, they see everything. And as they're leaving, you're like, now just one piece, okay? Because it's like, I mean, there's so much in here. Like there's so much I want to talk about. But honestly, it was, it was really easy this morning because this book of the Bible and, uh, and specifically this chapter of scripture uh, God has used mightily in Amy and I's life over the past several years, and I am grateful that I get to open up to it uh, this morning with you. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, it's page 982 in my Bible, and I believe in the Bibles that are in the back of the seats. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, um, take that as our gift to you. We want to make sure that everyone has a copy of the Word of God open on their laps so that they can see what God has to say to us this morning. Philippians chapter four. We're gonna start in verse 10. It says, and I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you had revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment is what this passage is about. Contentment here uh, means satisfied. It's pertaining to being happy with what one has or with the circumstances in which one exists. Uh, the contentment Paul is referring to here is a, it's a deep sense of joy and satisfaction in Christ that transcends circumstances and material possessions. A deep sense of joy and satisfaction in Christ that transcends circumstances and material possessions possessions. We live in a world that wants us to be discontent, don't we? If you don't believe me, uh, when you leave today, drive out on Rockville Road and just look around for like 30 seconds and you're bombarded with stuff like just trying to kindle your discontentment. Um, I think one of the biggest ways the world does this is through car commercials. Okay, now I know some of you have these new fancy schmancy devices that fast forward through commercials. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about, car commercials. No matter what car you have, you want the one that was just on that commercial. Like, I'm convinced this is why so many people drive smart cars, because it just looks so much cooler on the commercial. Like, it's like, wow, 100 miles to the gallon, and it still looks that good? And then they're driving it off the lot, and they're like, it looked a lot bigger in the commercial, you know? Um, there's a new one out right now that advertises for Lincoln. Maybe you've seen it. Um, they don't even talk about the car. They just take the actor, Matthew McConaughey, they put him in the vehicle, and then they just shoot him. And you're like... It's Matthew McConaughey. Like, 
he's so cool. And most of the time he doesn't say anything, okay? But when he does say something, it's just like, wow. Like he, he's got this like, like, first of all, first of all, he's got hair, which is awesome. Uh, second of all, it's not just hair. It's like swoopy Matthew McConaughey hair. And I'm like, I want hair like that. I need a Lincoln, you know? And then he, when, he does, when he does talk, when he does talk, it's like this cool driving voice. He's like, man, I don't drive Lincolns because they're cool. He's like, I just like them. And you're, and you're like, I like them too. You know, it's like, I, I need a Lincoln. I, I tried it the other day. Uh, Amy and I and the three kids in the back were rolling in our 08 minivan down Rockville Road, you know. And, and I tried it with her. And I was like, hey, honey. Do you, uh, you want to get the kids a Happy Meal? You know, and she's like, hon, you aren't Matthew McConaughey. Don't try to be. Please don't let that voice ever come out of your mouth again. Okay, but discontentment, our world wants us to be discontent, right? So that we consume more. And, and contentment's a, it's a daily struggle for a lot of us. If I just had a better job, then I'd be content. If my children would just obey, then I'd be content. If if I could just retire, if I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, then I'd be content. If I just lived someplace that didn't have daylight savings time and you didn't wake up and it was dark and go to sleep and it was dark and it's dark and cold all the time, if I just lived in Miami, then I'd be content. Sorry, that one's been bugging me. I think we're most often discontent because we seek satisfaction and contentment in some form of temporary possession, feeling, companionship, circumstance, or success. We look to the world to satisfy the longings of our heart. We look to the world to do what it's not intended to do. And when we do that, life becomes this series, um, this unending series of emotional and spiritual ups and downs as we go through life's inevitable mountaintops and valleys, and it gets hard, doesn't it? It's tiring to fight for contentment. We get exhausted, and we allow smaller and smaller and smaller things to rob us of our daily contentment. Have you ever known someone who's like really content? Like, like, not this, like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this, but not this, like, hey, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great kind of contentment. No, like, a really deep, satisfied contentment. I know a lady who's like this, and, uh, and I know what she's been through in her life. I know what struggles she's had and what the Lord's brought her way, and she is just steady, man. Every time I talk to her, I walk away, and I'm like, I know what's happened in her life and she's so content. I, I want that. What's the secret to that? Well, in this passage, Paul tells us that he has learned the secret to contentment. Let's look at it. Verse 10 it says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you had revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Okay, what's he talking about here? Paul is rejoicing that God has worked through the Philippians and they finally had the opportunity after 10 years to demonstrate their concern for him 
and to give and to support him. This is one of Paul's main reasons that he wrote um, this letter to the church at Philippi was to express his gratitude to them for their generosity. They'd sent him a gift with Epaphroditus, um, some type of material help probably, uh, um, clothing and daily necessities that he would need. And he's thanking them. He's saying, thank you for your concern for me. And look at verse 11, he keeps going. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Well, that's funny. It's like, well, thanks for your concern for me, but I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm like, well, you just said, <laughs> like we were concerned. So obviously if we were concerned for you, there had to be a need, right? Little background with this. Paul is in prison. He's writing this from prison, uh, probably chained to someone 24 hours a day. Um, and it's not like prison today where your daily needs are kind of provided for you, like food and clothing and those different things. You know, then it was more like, hey, if your family brings you things, if your loved ones bring you things, then you'll have them. If not, sorry about your luck. So obviously there's a great need, but he's reminding them that he didn't really need their gift. Why does he say this? He wants them to know that he's content regardless of the gift or not. He's like, he's like, thank you. Thanks for your concern for me, but hold on. I just want you to know I don't need anything. What do you need on a daily basis to be content? What's the thing? What's the circumstance? What has to happen? What do you need daily to be content. You might say, well, I just need things to go according to plan today. Then, I, then I'd be content. And although we might not say that out loud, right? It's, go, it's what's going on in our hearts. You, you might say, I just need a new vehicle. Like 300,000 miles is a lot. Then I'd be content. I just need more time in the day. I just need my house to be peaceful. If my house could just be peaceful, then I'd be content. Paul is saying, I don't need anything. Thanks for your help. Thanks for your concern for me. I just want you to know, I don't need anything. Look, he keeps going. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Why? For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. First thing we see about contentment in this passage is contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. He's like, I'm not speaking of need, being in need. Why? Because I have learned. Learned here is the idea of learning from experience. I've come to realize from experience in Paul's life, Christ had schooled him in contentment. Why is this significant that it's learned? It's significant because it's not natural. If we have to learn it, it means it doesn't come naturally to us, right? We're naturally discontent people, aren't we? This has been the case since Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, right? They were deceived by Satan and they were doubting the goodness of God and the promises of God. They doubted that he had given them and would give them everything that they needed. They doubted that in relationship with him, they needed nothing else. They doubted that there would be disastrous consequences, just like he had promised them there would be if they disobeyed. See, discontentment 
is a sin problem. And sin comes naturally to us, doesn't it? Sin, uh, discontentment has been called uh, practical atheism. Like, what's that mean? Well, it means this. It means that we say we have a good, just, sovereign, loving savior, but we live our lives like it's not true. We doubt that he is sovereignly working in everything and through everything for his glory and for our good. And we doubt the consequences of sin and we want Jesus and something else to be content. Jesus and money, then I'll be content. Jesus and what? Jesus and health? Jesus and a maid? Jesus in good grades, Jesus in a house, then I'll be content. See, it's learned. It's not natural. It's not a, a, a switch that we flip and pow, we're content. It's a process that takes place in our life as Christ works in us to conform us to his image. And the apostle Paul had to learn it. I think we do too. Because it's something that the Lord teaches us as we walk through life with him. Contentment is learned. The second thing we see about contentment here in this passage is that uh, contentment is not circumstantial. Contentment is not circumstantial. It's not determined by, it's not dependent upon our circumstances. Look at verse 11. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, why? For, for I've learned. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Whatever situation he's in. His contentment here is independent from, it's free from, it's unattached to his circumstances. Literally here is what this is saying is, in whatever circumstance I find myself, the current one included, I'm content. And then he unpacks it in verse 12. Look, he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know, I know I'm acquainted with. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He knows. He says, I've learned no matter what, no matter what the circumstances are, to be content. And I've learned it from experience. I know. And boy, did Paul know. Don't turn there. I'm going to turn there. In 2 Corinthians 11, uh, Paul lists some of the things that he'd experienced in his life. He says this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with, rod, with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, the wilderness, everywhere, danger. Later on, he says that uh, he received a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass him. And he pleaded with the Lord three times, Lord, take it away. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He knew. 
It's important to note that uh, when Paul is talking about these different ends of the spectrum of experiences, it's not that he has just experienced life at those different places, although he has. It's what he's saying is he's explaining that he knows. He knows how to live in an appropriate manner, content at both ends of the circumstance spectrum. See, I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that contentment is a product only of learning how to be content with very little. And that's not what he's saying here. In fact, he's saying that whether we are in a circumstance of abundance or need, each comes with its own temptations, doesn't it? Abundance, plenty, abounding, wealth. There's the temptation to rely on our own self-sufficiency and forget who provides everything. Um, we do this kind of game with our kids where we kind of, we ask, hey, what are we thankful for? And everybody kind of goes around and does, you know, I'm thankful for this, I'm thankful for that, you know, kind of thing. And then when we're all done, we, all, we go one, two, three, and we all yell out, thank you, God, okay? And so it's kind of fun. But with kids, you know, you kind of have to, you kind of have to help them with what they need to be thankful for. And so we were trying to do that one time and we're like, hey, uh, where's our food come from? And my little boy's like, Walmart. <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay, uh, where's Walmart? Get the food. And he's like, from a truck. And it's like, all right. So, so we instead is what we started doing is we started trying to trace everything back to God. And so we play this game and we see something and we're like, okay, now who did this? Who did this? Who did this? So we did that, you know, with our food. Well, okay, we get it at Walmart. Um, and then where's Walmart get it? And he's like, the truck. Okay, where they get, where's the truck get it? They get it from the farmer. Okay, where's the farmer get it? He gets it out of the ground. You know, how did it get in the ground? Well, he put a seed in and we're like, God made the farmer, God made the seed, God made the ground, God provided everything, right? But in abundance, sometimes it's easy to forget that. In abundance, when we have much, we can be tempted to not be satisfied and to keep looking for the next best thing, something just a little bit better. And if we have much, if that's our circumstance, we need to ask ourselves, what if it was all gone? What then? Would my contentment go with it? And then the other end of the spectrum, uh, need, being brought low, hungry, poor. In that circumstance, there's the temptation to think, if I just had a house, if I just had another car, or if I had better health insurance, or if I could just pay the bills, then I'd be content. And if that's our circumstance, we have to ask ourselves, if we were allowed to have more, if we had wealth, what then? Would we be content? Um, when Amy and I first got married, uh, we played this game where we pretended like someone knocked on our door and they're like, hey, you want a million dollars? We were young. <laughs> and, and we were like, okay, how would we spend it? You know, and it's like, okay, we could give here and we could give here and we could do this. And then it was all done. We're like, okay, now how do you want to spend it? You know, and we started spending it, which in the things we would spend it on, there wasn't anything necessarily wrong with those things. You know, there's nothing wrong with like, I want to purchase this or I want to get this or I want to get that kind of thing. But it was interesting 
to see where we spent our fake money revealed very quickly where we were discontent right then. And even with hypothetical money, our discontentment reared its ugly head. This past week, what circumstances did you look to for contentment? Or this past week, what did you allow to rob you of your contentment? Our contentment is not determined by circumstance. It can't be bought with money, nor can it be discovered in being a monk and going without and denying ourselves. You're like, okay, and what's the secret? What's the secret to contentment? And that's the third thing we see in this passage. And that is that our contentment is found in Jesus. Our contentment is found in Jesus. Look at verse 12 again. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The secret to Paul's independence from circumstances was his dependence upon Christ. He's like, I know. How do I know? I know because I can do all things. How can I do all things? Through the one who strengthens me. Paul's independence from circumstance was based on his trust in the provision of God in Christ. There was independence, independence. Um, I think if we... When we have, I think if we read this verse outside of its context, it can lead us to improperly understand it, right? Uh, we can look at it as something like, uh, uh, like this, like when empowered, when strengthened by Christ, nothing is beyond my capabilities. You know, like it's the pull-up verse kind of thing. Like I haven't worked out in three years, but that person is watching me and I don't want to look silly while I'm trying to do a pull-up. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, except pull-ups. You know, or it's the, I believe I can fly verse. Like I'm going to jump off this building. I believe I can fly. You know, I can do all things. Splat. Okay. It's not that. In context here, it's like all things is being content in all those circumstances that he just described above. So hunger, plenty, abundance, need. Paul is saying everything that God has assigned him to do, he can do through the one who gives him strength. Paul was content because he was united to the one who was all sufficient and all powerful. Paul's secret to contentment was found in what he treasured most. Look, you can flip a page back to Philippians chapter three and and verse seven says this, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth, the surpassing value, the surpassing treasure of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Contentment is found in knowing, loving, being united with, walking with, dependent upon Jesus. Paul's contentment was rooted in his Christ-centered life. Um, That's why back in Philippians chapter one, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can he say that? He's like, "If if I keep living, 
If I, if I stay here and oh, I'm still here, so I'm supposed to be here. If I'm still here, it means fruitful labor for me. It means I get to work for Jesus. I get to give my life to him. And he's like, but if I die, I get to be with Jesus. And that's so much better. So Paul's like, whether I live or whether I die, it's all about Jesus. He had learned that Christ was enough and more than enough. He had learned that Christ was the only treasure worth pursuing. The secret to contentment is Jesus. Learning to trust him and treasure him more than anything. In Matthew 13, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. When he found the greatest treasure, he sacrificed everything so that he could have it. The more magnificent Christ appears to us, the less appealing the stuff of this world Uh, Paul Tripp says this, the contented heart is satisfied with the giver and is therefore freed from craving the next gift. Now this doesn't mean hard things won't happen, does it? We know that. We know that there's gonna be suffering. We know that there's gonna be times of plenty and times of hunger We've seen that from the example of Paul, haven't we? And what he had been through in his life. I mean, he's writing this from prison. What it does mean is this. In spite of circumstances, as Christians, we're united with Christ. And we have everything that we need. He is with us. He is our steady state. He is the only treasure that truly satisfies. You see, if we, if we value Jesus more than anything, and everything else here is taken away, we haven't lost the source of our contentment. It's not about positive thinking or getting more or denying myself something. It's not about trying harder or or being stronger in order to get through something. Contentment is about being in a relationship with. It's about being united with the one who is strong. We're able to be content in all circumstances because of our relationship with Christ who gives us strength. Contentment is is learned. It doesn't come naturally to us. Contentment's not determined by circumstances, but rather our contentment is found in Christ, in him and through his strength. So you might be asking, all right, how's that look this week? Um, How do I learn contentment? How do I cultivate contentment in my life this week? When I leave here or when that unexpected bill shows up this week, 
and we don't know how to pay it. Or we, we have the money to pay it, but that was going to go to something else. And now it's gone, and we got we to gotta pay this, and, I, and I'm discontent. How does it look this week when I find out my neighbors are going on a vacation? Oh, and it's so much better than the one we're going on. They're going to Maui. I want to go to Maui. I saved three years, and we're going to Mount Rushmore. How does it look this week when the doctor says, uh, we don't know what's wrong with you. And it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of tests. Or when you get passed over for that exciting job promotion that I really, really wanted. And I didn't get it. And now it's back to the daily grind of a job I really can't stand. And I'm discontent. How in those moments... Do I cultivate contentment in my life two ways, real quick? First, recognize and repent of your discontentment. Recognize and repent of your discontentment. You're like, seriously? <laughs> Tell me to repent? That's your encouragement? Yeah, hang with me here for a second. Repentance places us in a proper posture before Christ because it acknowledges, it recognizes that my discontentment is sin. It acknowledges that I've doubted God's goodness and his sovereignty and I've elevated myself and my felt or perceived needs above what he wants and above him. Think about it this way. The God of the universe, the God of the universe says, I offer you myself. I offer you a relationship with me for my glory and for your satisfaction. And we say, no thanks. I think what I really need is a, I think what I really need is a new car. No thanks. I think what I really need is this, I need this promotion. I think what I really need is, I need to pay these bills. And we trade contentment found in relationship with Christ for circumstances and for stuff. And we need to humble ourselves and pray, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for doubting that you are all that I need. Forgive me for valuing more than relationship with you. Lord, teach me contentment. Recognize and repent of your discontentment. And second, remind yourself daily of the beauty and the worth of your Savior and the promises of the gospel. Remind yourself, meditate on daily the beauty and worth of your Savior and the promises of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Philippians 4.8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Doing this cultivates in us thankfulness 
rather than discontentment. Because it reminds us that even though we deserve nothing, Jesus died and paid the penalty for our sin, including our sin of discontentment. It reminds us that in Christ, we gain everything that we need. It assures us that in all circumstances, Christ is working in us to conform us to his image and through us to accomplish his purposes. And it gives us hope that one day we will be fully and finally and ultimately satisfied in his presence and the battle for contentment will finally be over. In union with Christ, we gain the only treasure that is ultimately satisfying, unchanging, and eternal. What is the secret to contentment? Jesus is the source and strength for our daily contentment. We can be content regardless of circumstances when we value our Savior more than anything. When we cling to him as our greatest treasure. And when, like Paul, we seek knowing him and enjoying him and trusting him as the only true source of satisfaction, of contentment in this life and in eternity. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me.